Dr. Justin Mukalel, is that you in the Hi, Sharon. How you doing? I'm doing awesome. How are you doing? Fantastic. Well, that's good to hear. How is it today in Texas? It's uh, it's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to think of something clever to say, but I, I don't know enough Texas lingo to be able to say that. Well, it's good to hear that you don't have an accent yet, but I'm hoping maybe for the next interview you might have one because it might add a little to the audio, you know, interview. Yeah, I say y'all all the time anyway, so I think <laughs> I have a little bit of it. Well, there you go. It's perfect. So you are at Superior Pain Relief doing your uh, nopioids thing from Tampa Bay now all the way to Houston. What's that transition been like? Well, it's a, it definitely is a transition um, just to pick up the whole family and move out here. But, you know, there's a need out here. Uh, Florida, as you know, uh, in July, they switched over to a very strict urine drug policy, um, excuse me, drug policy, drug prescription policy. Uh, Texas is about to switch over to some stuff uh, very soon in January and um, kind of want to be in the forefront of that and then make sure that patients are getting the or they're getting the right therapy at the right time and not getting the incorrect medicine. So why start with the opioid when you should be ending with it? Mm, I couldn't agree more. So now you have some some new friends in the practice along with you. We have Dr. Alcaraz, Dr. Malik, Dr. Wells. So what has that experience been like working with all these different practitioners together? It's been, in it's one been place? fantastic because, you know, each of us brings our own specialty to the uh, craft of uh, pain management or the art of pain management. You know, Dr. Alcaraz is a rehab-based doctor, so he does procedures that I don't do. He looks at things differently. So it's always good to have a, pa- have a colleague that I can uh, send a patient over to uh, and say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm kind of stumped in this situation. Um, I really want to help her out or help him out with their musculoskeletal issues. Do you think you can use some of your Jedi skills when it comes to uh, <laughs> MSK and all these type of things? And the same with Dr. Malik. He has a psychiatry background. Um, and as a psychiatrist, as we, you and I both know, we've discussed this many times, that once you get to chronic pain, majority of the pain is gone, or at least the majority of the tissue injury is gone. And what replaces that is the psychological component, thus creating, mm-hmm. you know, thus, thus creating the big pie chart of what chronic pain is. All right. Well, be- psychiatry. before we get to, uh, to the next doc, I want to just um, take a smooth transition in. So bear with me. Uh-huh. Okay, so on to the next. I, I understand you have a fabulous female along with you now, Allison Wells. Tell me about Absolutely. That. Allison's amazing. She's actually an anesthesiologist. She's kind of uh, crafted and pioneered some very unique things here in Texas and in Houston in general. She's really well known in the, uh, in the circles here of the people or the doctors that do ketamine. Um, Allison has devoted a lot of her time and a lot of her efforts into making um, or helping a lot of patients here in Houston with depression, depression-based issue. Uh, so, ketamine, low so, dose. Yeah, really you're going to tell us. That. You're going to tell us about ketamine, right? Because of course we want to have Dr. Wells on the podcast as well. But just for those of us who don't know what that actually means, can you just give us a little overview? Sure. So ketamine is a wild drug that has some. Um, bad connotations because people know it as what like a horse tranquilizer people know it as one of those drugs in the 70s that just show up in your cocktails Um, (laughs) 
and, and people have crazy experiences about it. But as anesthesiologists, we use the drug pretty regularly to be able to induce an anesthetic stage. But what we came to find out is that when we use it at certain doses, especially the very low doses, it can be helpful with pain management. And then we even found out even by working even more towards it, that <clears throat> at a very, very ultra low dose, we can help with depression. Mm. So there's certain pathways inside of your brain. And don't ask me to, to tell you the name of those pathways because there's a whole <laughs> bunch of them. But there's certain pathways inside of your brain that use certain receptors. And that receptor is called the NMDA receptor. That receptor is targeted with ketamine. Now, there's a couple of other adjuvant drugs that we use, but what the ketamine does is it blocks the way that that's, that receptor is behaving, therefore changing the way that that nerve is conducting information, whether that's a uh, emotional response in your brain or whether that's a transmission of a painful response with something mm -hmm. like CRPS. Well, I got to tell you, so from somebody like myself, who back in the day when I was like 19, 20, 21, I suffered severely with depression and there was no mention of this and there was no mention of any collaborative efforts that I could have like you guys have now with superior pain relief, which I think is magnificent because I think this is so helpful and so impactful because somebody that suffers from depression that might not have ever suffered from it before, <laughs> like myself, really, I had no idea what was going on. Like I could not even logically explain what was happening and why all of a sudden I was, I was having problems focusing and, and speaking. So I think it's just so magnificent that there's all these alternatives and, and all of you guys working together to make, you know, this something that's not so uncommon anymore. Yeah. And of course, like with most things, it's most things in medicine, everything started off in Europe. So those, mm. you know, those Europeans, they'll try and fashion and, uh, yeah, and fashion as well. <laughs> uh, but I will tell you then in, in, um, Michigan back in the 70s is where ketamine was first kind of identified and tested for depression before uh -huh. it was used for pain. Uh, they, there was a good paper that came out about this. How There was a doctor in Michigan, which I, his name is kind of fleeting me right now, but he was um, testing, he was using ketamine for depression, namely he was using it on his wife and, mm. uh, and seeing the effects from that. And the long-term effects for depression were very strong. Now, from then he was able to develop it for pain management as well. But they were able to use that that initial pilot study on his own wife um, to kind of springboard it as a drug for depression and a drug for uh, pain management. And so, unfortunately, with the over the years in seventies and eighties and nineties, and then later on into the new uh, in the in, in the two thousands and onward, ketamine's just kind of had a bad rap, or I would say a funny rap, because um, it's it's sort of um, you know abuse potential, I guess. Mm -hmm. but when it's used in the right way, it's very, very powerful. And just like most any of those drugs that are what we call the schedule one drugs, like cocaine, heroin, all those things, they're uppers, right? They make you feel good. But right. ketamine is not a scheduled one drug. Um, but ketamine can be used for pain relief and for depressive for depression issues. And mm -hmm. the nice thing is these patients who come in for depression, they literally walk in, we start an IV. We throw on the ketamine, which is an extremely low dose of 30 milligrams, run that in over 45 minutes, and they recover in a matter of uh, seven minutes, five to seven minutes, and they're able to walk right out with no issues. And mm -hmm. functioning normally, um, getting the sub-anesthetic or sub-analgesic um, even dose of ketamine. It's amazing. So this time, I'm not going to let you get away without telling this one story that I only found out that happened to you when I was with you at an event in Tampa 
about one of the reasons that you decided that this was going to be a mission in life for you. You probably didn't know it at the time. And, um, and it's about that patient that, that wrote you the letter um, when they were going under anesthesia. And I've never seen this letter, but I would love for you to tell the audience exactly what I am referring to. Um, <laughs> so, because I don't want to steal your thunder and, and not tell this story. Cause I think that this is very, very powerful. I think that um, people need to understand that, you know, there's, there's a lot of bad raps that go on with your industry. Okay. Like this is not something new. you and I know this, but um, there's so much, love and care that goes on um, that you really want to get people better. And so does your team and your, you have all these great alternatives for people now in this practice. So, but I would love for the audience to know why in fact you decided that this was going to be your mission. Sure. That's uh, it's funny that you bring that up because, you know, every time someone used to walk into my practice in Florida, they would see a letter that was, um, framed and hanging on the wall and then when they get to read it they're like well that's not really a positive letter right. um, and uh not and then, showing you in a great light well yeah so what happened was when i was a resident a long time ago uh and, and let me let me preface that by saying when you're a resident you just do what your attending tells you to do basically you're there to learn you're not there to decide or think or do anything else and right. especially when you're a first year resident within the first two or three months of when you just started training um, you know, you're, you're there to just kind of follow the instructions of your, of your supervisor. Mm -hmm. And, um, so what happened was there's a lady who was going through, uh, a tough time. She was having different types of gynecological cancers and she was coming in for a major gynecological procedure. And at that time I had told her that her post-operative, uh, pain course, so meaning after the surgery and what she's going to expect in the hospital stay would be something called a PCA, patient controlled analgesia. And that's where we have a little button that you use to, to mm -hmm. provide small aliquots of different type of opioids in through your IV. Mm -hmm. um, it does a pretty good job, but it has a lot of side effects and could have a lot of problems if uh, you have a lot of comorbidities. Mm -hmm. Now, at that time, uh, that was kind of the thing that we did at our, at our program. And um, that was what my, my, prim my primary attending wanted me to do. So, you know, I explained that to her. Lo and behold, a month and a half later, I get a letter that she signs, she sees, sees me with the surgeon. And then I get the letter saying that, you know, at this day and age, you're unable to give me other options for pain mm. other than the standard option. Well, that kind of, you know, she wrote some other things as well, but um, that kind of took to heart to me because that made me concerned that somebody cared enough, uh, even though she did well. And she expressed that in her, in her, in her letter that she recovered well with no issue but she was disappointed to hear that I did not provide her with, with other options. Right. Yeah. And so that kind of pushed that, that kind of pushed some buttons in me thinking, you know what, my responsibility is to this patient, not just her, but to any patient that comes that I come across to. So it's there what the options are so that I can direct them as to the best option that they can choose to handle their pain. And that's what led me towards a fellowship in acute pain medicine. And then eventually after years of practicing it as an attending myself, I went back and did a, uh, another fellowship in chronic pain medicine because it just wasn't fulfilling enough to not know all the potential options that are out there. Does and she that, know that you did this? No, but I always think about maybe writing her a letter and uh, yeah. let her know that. But no, I don't think I'll do that. Um, uh, oh. but, but I use her letter as a motivational tool for me to, to continue finding the best solutions 
and then letting them decide decide what they want to do because ultimately Sharon at the end of the day we're just a we're, we're a facilitator we're a tool we're not we're not the patients we're just someone who helps them get through a tr- tough time in their life and I agree and of course I'm not going to push you on this well maybe when we're not on the podcast that's a whole other story but um, for purposes of this interview I just want to say that we really never know what type of impact we're going to have on somebody by taking that risk and sending that letter. Like how in the world could you have ever known that that was going to change the course of how you in fact practice medicine? So bravo to her, but bravo to you, but bravo to her for making sure that she said something because when we don't speak our mind, you know, we, nothing changes. I bet she'd love to hear what you decided to do, but we'll talk about that another time. I I might just not let that one go. Okay. You know me too well. She's the reason that I came up with the motto motto that says I provide the options. You choose the relief. Isn't that amazing though? And you've been saying that for so long. Like I have chills what you're saying that because wow, if she knew that she made that much of an impact on you because there's no way that she could have known because most people don't even have long conversations with their anesthesiologist. Am I right or am I wrong? Well, we purposely try to make you forget who we are. Right. Exactly. With the countdown. Three, two, one. Goodbye. So, um, well, listen, it was amazing as always to talk to you. I want to make sure that we um, provide a lot of information to everybody that listens and, and give them all these options. We can't wait to interview the rest of the crew at the office and, and let everybody know that you're available um, and ready to make a difference in this wonderful pain center that you're in and that you have all these options and that you have tools to give everybody for not just, you know, I mean, you're helping people that have migraines and neck pain and, you know, tension headaches. So there's a lot more to cover, but for now, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast and, and have yourself a great night in Texas. Y'all take care now. <laughs> Bye. All right. Thanks, Sharon. Thank you. Bye.